0: Hello and welcome to episode number 12 of a Tisket Tasket podcast. I'm your host Gina and today we're going to be talking about Little Jack Horner. Now I picked this nursery rhyme because last week we talked about Little Miss Muffet and there seemed to have been a trend in nursery rhymes in around the mid-18th century that focused on Little blank blank, so Little Miss Muffet. Little Polly Parrot, Little Jack Horner, and to be honest, when I did the research for the podcast this week, I thought that Little Jack Horner was going to fall along the same lines, as in it's going to be fairly simple to research, it's going to talk more about the trends of Little Miss or Little Mr. etc. etc. But when I really sat down to research this, I was surprised just how much researchers had to say about this nursery rhyme. Which is what we're going to be talking about this week, the Tisket Tasket podcast. Mm -hmm. Little Jack Horner has a Roud Folk Song Index number of 13,027. It was first documented in print in Mother Goose's Melody in 1765. The melody most commonly associated with this rhyme was composed by nursery rhyme collector James William Elliot in a book that I have mentioned many times on this podcast, and that is his National Nursery Rhymes and Nursery Songs, which was published in 1870. But this nursery rhyme is probably older than the 18th century. The Opies, as well as other researchers, suggest that it's Probably from around the 1600s area, the early 1600s. The earliest print references was from Namby Pamby, which is a satire by Henry Carey, which was published in 1725, in which he uses lines from Little Jack Horner as a part of a satire. And he says, now he sings of Jackie Horner sitting in a chimney corner, eating of a Christmas pie, putting in his thumb, oh fie, putting on, oh fie, his thumb, pulling out, oh strange, a plum. So again, this is probably one of those instances where this nursery rhyme appeared in print much later than it did in oral tradition that it was passed down. And a lot like other nursery rhymes, it was actually used as satire, the written word before it was probably recorded as a nursery rhyme. Now when I was reading my entry from Opie in Opie as I do each week I was very surprised to see that they had quite a bit to say about this and one of the interesting things is that they had a lovely block print of the history of Jack Horner containing the witty pranks he played from his youth to his ripper years being Pleasant for Winter Evenings. And it's a it's a block print, and it shows Jack Horner, which is appears to be like a puppeteer, it looks like. And it says, printed and sold in Albany Church Yard, Brown Lane, London. A chapter book history of Jack Horner printed in 1770, and it's from the British Museum. I'm going to try to track down this print, if I can, online, so I can post it to the blog. But it appears that little Jack Horner may have a history... Referencing an actual person. The Opie's write, The legend which has gained currency during the past century is that the original Jack Horner was steward to Richard Whiting, last of the abbots of Glastonbury. The story goes that at the time of disillusion, the abbot, perhaps hoping to appease King Henry VIII, sent his steward to London with a Christmas gift. A pie in which were hidden the title deeds of twelve manners. On the journey, Jack Horner is said to have opened the pie and extracted the deeds of the manor of Mel's. However this may be, it is the fact that one Thomas Horner took up residence at Mel's soon after the dissolution, and his descendants live there to this day. Wow, what a great way to inherit a manor, right? Like, hey, go take this to the king or the president. Oh, I'll just I'll just sneak a piece for me. It's just a uh, deed to a giant fancy house. But nevertheless, the opies continue. What the Horner family say is that the ancestor bought the manor, together with several other manors in neighboring farms, for 1,831 pounds. They point out that John Leland confirms that Mr. Horner hath bought the lordship of the king in his itinerary, 1543. Furthermore, they say that the rhyme has nothing to do with their ancestor, and it is part of a long merriment called the history of Jack Horner containing the witty pranks he played from his youth to his ripper years, being pleasant for winter evenings. Not only was their ancestor's name Tom, not Jack, but the character who sits in the corner is here specifically described as being only 13 inches high and as living near London. The history of Jack Horner formed one of the favorite productions of the chapter book printers in the latter half of the 18th century, the earliest dated copy being issued in 1764, and this metrical tale divided into six chapters begins, Jack Horner was a pretty lad, near London he did dwell, his father's heart he made full glad, his mother loved him well. From line 21, still in the first chapter, it proceeds, When friends they did meet to pass away the time, why little Jack be sure eat his Christmas pie and rhyme, and said Jack Horner in the corner eats good Christmas pie, and with his thumb pulls out the plums and says Good boy am I. It will be noted that the traditional lines are exceedingly awkward, they fit even more awkwardly into the piece as a whole, having no bearing on the story, and in fact they impede the narrative it seems clear that they have been dragged in, probably as a peg on which to hang the tail. This is the tradition of chapter book literature. A number of the more popular nursery rhymes have been similarly extended, as an example of Jack Spratt. Indeed, the traditional rhyme is found several decades earlier in the chapter book history, it being quoted in 1725 by Henry Carey in his Namby Pamby Ballad, which is what I've talked about earlier. So the Obies continue to say that it appears that Carry wasn't quoting from the chapter book version, but from a rhyme that was similar, if not identical, to the one known today. And that the chapter book is in fact, apart from the pie instance, from the rhyme that we know, taken from the old tale of the Friar and the Boy, which is around 1520, which in turn emanates from the more ancient Jack and his stepdame, and includes part of the tale of Basin, which is from 1340 of all things. It may be added that, from the historical angle, that there is no objection to the short rhyme having originally referred to the Horner ancestor. Glastonbury, at the beginning of the 1539, was the only religious house in Somerset left untouched, and it was the richest abbey in the kingdom. When Abbot Whiting was on trail for his life, Thomas Horner was a member of the complainant jury which condemned him. It is admitted that Horner benefited from being a king's man and the local people may very well have had their own ideas about he, how he acquired his states. And then they comment that there is something, there is a reference in Somersetshire that is as old as 1680, which talks about the Horner ancestors, saying that Hopton, Horner, Smith, and Tyne, when abbots went out, they came in. Horner's name, it is true, was Thomas, but that is now anybody might be called Jack, particularly if he was believed to be a knave. I love that. So, like, think about it. It's like, okay, you're kind of a knave. Your nickname is is now Jack. Like, I think it's kind of interesting that at the time, culturally, this is kind of the thing to do, is to kind of rename your first name, depending on either your profession. For example, I'm thinking of John Coachman, or kind of your disposition. So, if you were if you're a bit of a knave, you may have been called Jack, which which we know from the Horner's ancestry, if they're stealing deeds from the manors in the king's pie, then that's probably a good name to call them, huh? It is on record also that in the revelant period of Whiting several times sent Christmas gifts to the king, and the story of a special present being sent concealed under a pie crust is not so preposterous as it may seem. I think it's quite preposterous. Can you imagine, like, FedExing a pie to someone and being like, well, I guess, like, if you think about, it, like, the legend of, like, the nail file and, like, the cake that you're going to send to a prison. But can you imagine if that were, like, still a case? It's like, hey, mom, I'm going to send you a birthday card. Um, it's going to be in a, in a raspberry pie. I think we should bring this tradition back. I wonder how, how much it is to FedEx a pie to someone. Uh, email me if you, if you know. In the 16th century, some surprising things found their way into pies. Another example of a nursery rhyme of this is Sing a Song of Expense, which I haven't talked about yet, but I have done some research on it, and it, and it, seems, it seems pretty silly. I, I'd like to, to do more research on it. It may be stressed, however, that the legend which now has become so firmly attached to the rhyme has not been found in print before the 19th century. Which, you know, I mean, that's not to be surprising. I've talked a lot about in this podcast about when nursery rhymes were first published. And it seems to be that nursery rhymes weren't really written down and published until the 18th century. So this seems to be a case, like, for example, when I talk about Hickory Dickory Dock or even London Bridge, that the story of this nursery rhyme may very well predate its publication. And... I think it's quite interesting that this could reference a uh, mischievous or someone, I can't quite think of the word, like taking advantage of a good situation to steal a deed from a pie. When I did a little bit more research, I was really curious to know where the plum came from. In the poem because I I can understand if the nursery rhyme is talking about removing a deed or removing something from a pie but where did the plum come from and when I did some genealogy research on Thomas Horner because yes that's where this podcast takes me apparently it was suggested that the manor properties included lead mines in pendip hills and the plum is a pun on latin plumbum plumbum for lead. So, again, what I love about nursery rhymes, and this appears in previous nursery rhymes as well, is that they often are punny. I'm thinking A is for apple pie. And so it's certainly not a stretch at all that if this is referencing Thomas Horner, the knave Jack, then it's probably not a stretch that it's a pun on the Latin for lead, which is just fascinating i think today i learned that the nursery rhyme little jack horner is on a pun for lead and again i think this is one of the most fascinating things i keep saying that the most fascinating things about nursery rhymes are blah 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 but really it's it's very interesting that nursery rhymes can contain puns or contain references that are completely lost on today's audience for example very few people are going to understand the pun, if it's a pun from a Latin word, or very very few people are going to understand or remember the life and deeds of one Thomas Horner. However, more than a few people are going to remember the nursery rhyme Little Jack Horner, and I certainly remember it from my childhood. So this is yet another instance in which the literature stays but the context does not. Which I think is a uh, fascinating aspect of nursery rhymes and an interesting aspect of literary criticism that may be lost to time. Because I think it's, I think it's easy to, oh my gosh, I'm going on a tangent here, but bear with me. So I'm currently reading Moby Dick by Herman Melville. And this is a long novel. And I think it's really easy to think about how contexts are lost in long novels so for example we don't do whaling anymore and so Melville's long chapters on whale anatomy is lost to a lot of this context and that's kind of easier to grasp but nursery rhymes get away with kind of losing their context a little bit easier and we don't really think about it because they are so short and easy to remember. And that's what I, that's why I really think that nursery rhymes have this longevity over some of these longer tomes. Not to say that, you know, Herman Melville or Shakespeare or whatever hasn't been read, but I would argue that more people know the nursery rhyme Little Jack Horner than they know Herman Melville. And so that's just a a little tidbit from kind of my mind about nursery rhymes. And again, why they're just so important to learn. And I'm not saying that everybody needs to understand or learn the context of Mr. Thomas Horner behind Little Jack Horner. But I think it is important to continue to keep these stories alive even maybe if the the truth you know the truth has been lost because it is an aspect of history that i think could be easily lost and nursery rhymes are an easier way to keep the history alive okay that was a bit of a side tangent i will continue on about the history of little jack horner mm-hmm. continuing on with the historical aspect of little jack horner and the Mel's Manor in which perhaps this deed was removed from a pie, I did quickly look up to see if Mel's Manor was still a thing, and apparently it is. And if you look up pictures of it, it's absolutely fascinating. It's in Somerset, and they said it—you know—it was built in the 16th century by Edward Horner or Thomas Horner, which we talked about. So apparently it was altered in the 17th century and partially demolished around 1780, but it was restored by Sir Edward. Lutians in the 20th century and that the house along with the garden walls has been designated as a Grade 1 listed building and is closely associated with the adjacent church of St Andrew and the gardens are also listed as a historical uh, place in on the register of historical parks and gardens a specific historic interest in England so if you want to go to Somerset you can actually go see this manor and I think that's really cool like I would want to go see this manor if I were ever in England just because it it might have uh, a purported connection with this nursery rhyme which I think tells you a little bit about how my brain works. Moving on from the historical aspect and underpinnings of Little Jack Horner let's move on to talking about the nursery rhyme. So when I was doing the research on the Library of Congress as well as other sites I found quite a number of recordings of Little Jack Horner and it was usually tied with Little Bo Peep and Hey Diddle Diddle. And it seems that there was a resurgence of these recordings or the popularity of the recordings seems to have come from the earliest 20th century. And this really has to do, I think, with the publication of uh, and popularity of Mother Goose's Melodies and I found a number of audio recordings in the first one I'm actually going to play two for you today and the first one is from the record Mother Goose's Songs and it was actually published in 1911 the soprano vocalist in this record is Elizabeth Wheeler that's who you hear singing in this record let's go ahead and play it for you now
1: Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating a Christmas pie He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum And said, what a good boy am I
0: So it was a lovely soprano version of Little Jack Horner, and I'll actually play the whole record for you as the outro. The second one I'll play is Little Jack Horner and it's from Little Wonder Records. And unfortunately it does not give a date. However, I really suspect this is another one from the early 20th century, probably around the same time, the around the last recording. This is from Little Wonder Records and we'll go ahead and play it now.
1: Corner, Christmas fight. He put in his and pulled out a and said, what a
0: boy I. So there's a bit of a different version, upbeat male version singing Little Jack Horner. Again, there really seems to have been a resurgence in publishing these songs and these melodies in the early 20th century, and I wonder too if this is because records were probably easier to obtain in, in the middle class and now parents were looking for something to play their children or play as entertainment in the evenings but this, that's more speculation and I, I haven't had time to really delve into the research on why that might be but to add to the blog for this week I'm going to go ahead and upload a really neat Document called 16 Mother Goose's Melodies by Elizabeth Coleridge. And this was published in 1901. And it includes 16 nursery rhymes, including Little Jack Horner, including Little Miss Muffet, Sing a Song of Sixpence, Hey Diddle Diddle. And it's sheet music, which I think is really cool. This is early, very early 20th century sheet music for these nursery rhymes, which you can play if you're really interested or see the musical score for. So again, this and a couple more images will be on the blog at com. So please check it out. I try to include images as well as the audio recording of this podcast, just so you can get an idea of what art looked like at this time because again i talk about these beautiful block illustrations and again these are for children and so you're gonna see these beautiful colorful illustrations that accompanied a lot of these written nursery rhymes and the scores, a lot of the scores had really beautiful illustrations as well. This one doesn't have the illustration and the scores, but it is very clear sheet music that you can play today from 1901. So please check it out. What have we learned today about Little Jack Horner? Well, I am really surprised at what I learned today about Little Jack Horner, and that that is that it's likely a nursery rhyme from around the 1500s if it's referencing King Henry VIII. And I really like to think that it does reference this Thomas Horner who deviously stole a deed to a manor house from a pie of all things when it was being sent as a gift to the king. And Again, I never know what I'm going to uncover when I do research for this podcast, and so that was a really fun tidbit. I did read uh, a substantial piece from Opian Opie from the Oxford Dictionary of Nursery Rhymes, just because. Well, first of all, I think that they can say things way more eloquently than I can, but also I thought it was really important to note kind of these historical facts behind this this devious man Thomas Horner, and we learned that if you were a knave during this time, your first name may very well have been named Jack so we have also learned that the nursery rhyme itself really wasn't in publication until the 18th century where it appeared in Mother Goose's Melody in 1765 as well as the melody which was written by James William Elliot in the National Nursery Rhymes and Nursery Songs from 1870 and again I referenced that quite a bit and I think I will have to spend another podcast or two episodes talking about Mr. James William Elliot and his ability to write scores. He's He's right up there with A.H. Rosewig when it comes to writing nursery melodies. We uh, also know that its earliest written publication is probably referenced in Henry Carey's satire of Namby Pamby, which was published in 1725. We also know that it was a popular audio recording in the early 20th century with a number of audio recordings of which I've played two for you today. And I've included some very interesting score pieces for you to take a look at at the blog. So overall, this was quite an interesting episode because it has a deep, rich history and a probable event that happened. If there's anything you can take away from this episode is that Apparently, very important state documents were often ferried in baked goods. Who would have thought? But again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of a Tisket Tasket podcast. Again, I'm Gina, and I very much enjoy talking about nursery rhymes. Please take a look at the blog at atiskettasketpodcast.com and email me with your questions, concerns, or comments at, at info at a I look forward to hearing your feedback and I enjoy doing these podcast episodes. So if you would like to support me in what I do each week, feel free to check out my website and contains all the links in which you can monetarily help me pay for things like website hosting and software. But as always, stay tuned next week where I continue to talk about the weirdness of nursery rhymes.
1: And the fiddle the cow jumped over the moon. The little dog laughed to see the sport and the dish ran after the spoon. <laughs> little bobit has lost her sheep and can't tell where to find. to see a fine lady upon a white horse, rings on her fingers and bells on her toes, she shall have music wherever she goes. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating a Christmas pie, he put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, whoa!